0: I'm Matt Godbolt And I'm Ben Rady And this is Two's Compliment A programming podcast Hey Ben Hey Matt So I was giving a presentation At work the other day To a bunch of new hires And one of the things That I asked them during the presentation is i show a bit of code which is deliberately awful c++ code just to sort of Uh prove a point and it's just a bit of string formatting but i asked them how long do you think this function will take to run Uh just ballpark it you know order of magnitude in fact two orders of magnitude where Uh do you think it'll be and it's amazing that a room full of people and there were some folks who are much more um, um experienced in the room too the range was absolutely astronomical from people saying hundreds of microseconds to people saying 10, 15, 20 milliseconds, you know, and it was kind yeah, of, yeah. you know, it was, we were sort of playing prices right rules, you know, who was mm-hmm. nearest without going over. And, you know, the one person got it about right, this particular bit of code was tens, low tens of microseconds, right, even though it was mm-hmm. absolutely awful. And it, it struck me that we all, don't really know how fast we don't really have internalize very well how fast computers are oh, and yeah. what they're good at and what they're not good at even if you spend right. most of our waking lives thinking about it it still hits us for surprise
1: right i have to think about it like very i have to like do the math on it i have no intuition right, like right. looking at a piece of code like it's just i have to like sit down and be like okay that's gonna be this and it's this gonna be that and i gotta probably look some things up on the internet it's not intuitive at all to me
0: Absolutely. So even, you know, trying to get a handle of how fast a computer is, Mm -hmm. is is tough. I mean, I'm just, I'm in fact, just thinking about it right now, like one of the things that amuses me very much is when I plug my laptop into a docking station, Mm -hmm. like at work. Yeah. And there are these two giant monitors plugged in with, (laughs) you know, 32 bit color per pixel, however many, you know, 4k displays. Mm -hmm. And I plugged the tiny, thin, little USB-C thing into my laptop, and somehow, miraculously, that amount of data is flowing out right. of my computer continuously to drive these screens. And again, like, it boggles my mind how much it is. But if I sat down and did the math, it's probably fairly reasonable, right? Well, it has yeah, to be because yeah. it works, right? right. <laughs> yeah. And we're looking yeah. at each other right now, and there's not a problem. Yeah. But developing intuition... About these things is is tricky, especially when computers are have surprising edge cases.
1: Yes, yes, and it's really easy to be off by many orders of magnitude. Exactly, yeah.
0: exactly. I mean, how how fast is a modern PC? Like, like, let's say on the computer I'm on now, it's like let's just say three gigahertz, mm-hmm. which means every tick of the clock is a third of a nanosecond, and just which putting that st- yeah, stupid fast. <laughs> My golly, a third of a nanosecond. Now, I mean, you brought this up when we were talking about this before, but mm-hmm. there's a nice way of thinking about what a nanosecond is.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so, so Grace Hopper, who is uh, obviously a, a famous woman in computing, has this great talk that she did many years ago talking about explaining, I think, to generals why certain satellite communication wasn't going to be possible in the way that they were thinking about it. And she had a piece of wire that was, you know, she sort of called a nanosecond long, right? And that was like the amount of distance that light could travel in a nanosecond. And it was a little under a foot, I think like 11.8 inches, if I'm remembering correctly. She sort of held it up and be like, this is a nanosecond, right? So your satellite is way up in space, many, 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 many nanoseconds away, right? And that... She was obviously talking about, like, communication, but it's, like, so useful. to When I am trying to in- intuit, when I'm trying to sort of break out of the, like, I don't have an intuitive sense for how this works. I think back to that all the time of, like, you know, about a foot is a nanosecond. Right. Uh, and that is how fast light is moving. So if that's you're doing like something.
0: the cosmic speed limit. Nothing can go faster than that. So exactly that gives you, like, the, the baseline, at least. Like, this is, if everything was perfect,
1: that's yeah. as
0: fast as you could go
1: exactly and i will many times sort of envision that wire that's a foot long and sort of like twist it around into a small shape and and project it onto the chip of like a cpu and be (laughs) like there's a wire that's in there that is like as you say a third of the length of a foot right so only a few inches and that's how long it takes for the for the the light essentially to move around in there now it's not actually exactly like that but it's just sort of like my in, my intuition sort of clicks in a little better when I think about it when
0: you think about and i mean that obviously doesn't take into account the fact that electrons in wires go right, slower than light course, in a yeah. vacuum yes. that they're not just moving in a in a sensible way, although there's arguments mm-hmm. about how the propagation of um of of charge and um uh voltage really works but there's mm-hmm. there's a transistor that takes some time to 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 flip state and all that kind of stuff, so that's all the kind of like the physical reasons Mm -hmm. why but as you say it gives you at least something you can stare at and look at and you look at like your arm from your elbow to your wrist and go there's a nanosecond there there, roughly speaking right so but first of all what a nanosecond right i don't know you know as as engineers we are probably more used to talking about time Mm -hmm. or or things that are nano scale nano something or other but to put it into perspective right like a million uh, sorry a millisecond, which is like the sort of standard human, wow, that's fast, is right. a thousandth of a second. And, right, mm-hmm. you know, you'll be hard pushed to um, do anything on a human scale that isn't in the tens of milliseconds. Mm-hmm. So the way that I think about this is like when I used to work in video games, we... um we always wanted to try and get things in under a frame, like the refresh of the TV screen that we were projecting to, Mm -hmm. which in the UK is 50 times a second. Over here, it's 60 times a second. So you need to have completely recalculated the next uh, viewpoint, taking into account all of the AI, the the user's movement on the controls, anything else that's going on, you're playing music and all that kind of stuff. And you have Mm -hmm. to be repainting the screen completely from scratch every 60th of a second, which is roughly 16 and a bit milliseconds Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. so
0: that is sort of human scale time right and so when people were guessing would this string formatting routine take 20 or 30 milliseconds even though it was egregiously bad there's no way well never say no way (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it it, it's it wasn't as bad as an entire game repainting the screen Right. right that's not a reasonable comparison but Again, right. computers are surprising, so I'm not trying to call people out for this. This is just what it is. Yeah. So that's the millisecond. So then if you go a 1,000 times smaller than a millisecond, you get microseconds, which is kind of a more typical performance level that you might measure things at. So like when you're running non-trivial slices of code, you might be measuring things in terms of microseconds because that's, again, it's a sort of sensible um, okay. domain for most things. Um but we're way out below what humans can perceive at that point. And then mm-hmm. a thousand times smaller than a microsecond is a nanosecond. And now we're into the domain that the computer itself is actually ticking along at. And so we're all that's just to kind of get our head round how many thousand times smaller than things that we know mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. Uh, is a nanosecond. And you know the the idea that that um, we have something which is reliably running at three gigahertz and therefore a third of a nanosecond for every clock tick. And not only is it doing one thing at a time, it's doing each CPU on your die is doing probably a a half dozen things in parallel. Plus the the chip itself has got many CPUs on it. And you just kind of get the idea of how much mind boggling performance there is on Mm -hmm. a tiny piece of sand in a plastic Mm -hmm. uh, wrapper,
1: which is just what it is, right? It's Yeah.
0: So, When we were talking about this uh, earlier, it reminded me that I had um, totally and utterly stolen an amazing um, article, very short article, by Jeff Dean, I believe, from Google, one of the original uh, engineering folks at at Google, where he had um, put out like a list of, these are just the things that take computers' time, and here's how many nanoseconds or milliseconds they take. Mm -hmm. And I've got a spin on that where I try and equate it to human time so that you can develop a bit of an intuition about like, well, what does this mean? So that when you go, oh, yeah, I, I, I didn't, um, uh, the, the information wasn't in the cache. I had to go and get it from main memory. How yeah. long does that kind of quote really mean? Because I don't think any of us have a decent intuition about what, you know, oh, it's 230 nanoseconds. You're like, that's still mm-hmm. It's,
1: mm-hmm.
0: so small. I can't get my head around it. Right. And so I was just going to go through some of these with you and we can sort of talk about them as we go. But uh, oh, yeah. I, so the first thing computers can add numbers and exclusive or numbers and do other sort of elementary arithmetic not multiplication division but like add subtracts zors, and compares mm-hmm. in usually in one cycle now there's a bit of pipelining going on here i'm going to draw a line over that but that means that like it takes one cpu cycle to add two numbers together which is a third of a nanosecond and that's yeah. already bonkers but let's use that as our baseline Right, and then rather charitably i'm going to say that a human adding say a few digit number together takes one second like who's good at it right if you're right, good at like right, mental right. arithmetic and i say what's well, 392 plus 4964 perhaps you can do that in your head in under a second right so that we're going to use that as our scale for the rest yeah. of this conversation and so
1: so a third of a nanosecond equals of computer time equals one second of human time of
0: human time exactly, exactly right Yep. So then let's sort of move up the hierarchy of the kind of elementary operations that a computer is doing under the hood all the time. So mm-hmm. the next obvious thing is multiplying, right? Mm-hmm. It takes, and again, I'm, this is hand-waving completely, of course, because it's different for every revision of computer. It's different for different architectures and stuff. But let's, on, a, on the next 86, such as I'm on right now, it's anywhere between four and six cycles to do a multiply of two numbers together. These are integers, for what Mm -hmm. it's worth, anyone who's really counting. And so that works out as 1.2 nanoseconds, thereabouts, 0.3 times 4, right? And Mm -hmm. in human time, that's four seconds. And again, now we're still in roughly the ballpark of that makes sense to me. I, you know, probably faster than I could multiply numbers together, but it's not a bad um, approximation. I'm sure there are folks who can do, you know, three or four digit multiplications in their head like -hmm. like that. So four seconds. So yeah. What about division? So, what would be your, your instinct, your guesstimate of our, how long it would take a human, and we'll work backwards, to do uh, a
1: long division of two numbers? A uh, long division of two longs might take a while, but um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, like if in, assuming that you don't have uh, the lookup table, yes, <laughs> right, you haven't got it basically like memorized where it's like a hundred divided by ten. Um, Right. then, I, yeah, I, you know, many seconds. Like, you're, you're going to maybe bust out some pencil and paper and exactly. like write it down like that, yeah.
0: And it turns out that intuition is about right. So um, computers can't divide in, uh, integers that much better than humans can, actually, with a big fat caveat that the mm-hmm. latest round of Intel machines have somehow made it go a lot faster. But at least when I first wrote these slides, and for most CPUs that I'm used to dealing with on a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. integer division is anywhere between 30 And 100 cycles, which is a lot longer. So that's 10 to 33 nanoseconds, which in human time of this scale is 30 seconds to a minute and a half. So sounds Mm. about right. You know, you're sketching a bit of paper and that's how long it's going to take you to divide things into. And again, the reason it's such a wide range, actually, on the computer side is that it does depend on the numbers you gave it. Unlike multiplication Mm. and addition and stuff like that, where it just does 32 bits worth, it's worth noting that just like long division, once you kind of get to the end, you're like, well, there's nothing else to divide. Let's stop now. We might as well finish. We've got the answer now. There's no need to go through the other bit. So it, it varies. And um, again, that's something I like to point out to, to people who are too new to computers is unlike most of the other things in the chip, because the division takes up a load of space, there is usually only one divider per, um, per CPU. And it's not pipelined. So some of the other things, although I'm saying it, t- it takes four or five cycles, um, there can still be multiple multiplications going on at once. You can have you know three or four multiplications going on at once each in a different stage of the multiplication. It's just that there are four or five stages that the multiply goes through before it comes out the other end. so it takes four mm-hmm. cycles to get the answer. But um, with a divide, if you're doing a division, It's taking you 30 to a minute and a half. You can't be doing anything else at the same time, at least in that divide. You can't get another divide started. There's no way of breaking the work up. So um, the reason I bring that up is because everyone's favorite data structure is a hash map. Mm -hmm. And almost every hash map, at least naive implementations, use a modulus with how big the hash table is to find which slot. You know, you do your hash, you get like some giant number and you go uh, mod 257. There's 257 entries in my... In my hash table, which slot am I going to look in? I will just mod, and that's a division, and it's long; it takes a while. You can only do one at a time, so um, it's, so there are actually some trade offs. Um, you'll see some hash tables will actually not use a modulus, or they deliberately use a power of two sized um, hash map table bucket mm. size, even though it doesn't give the best distribution of hashes. It's probably worth spending more cycles with a better hash function. And then using an and to get you into your table than it is to rely on a divide because it takes a minute, <laughs> a minute yeah, in human yeah, time.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah.
0: So then, one of the other things that CPUs do that I've we've talked about on this this podcast before, or at least I love to talk about. So I know that we've brought talked to it more than once, is that um, they try and get ahead of themselves. They look along the. Um, stream of instructions and they try and do more than one thing at once so they're, they're trying to unlock parallelism by finding sets of instructions that can run together in parallel even though they weren't necessarily written explicitly to be parallel so this is not like threads this is just a single stream of, of, of instructions it's like well there's an add and then there's a multiply and the add and the multiply are distinct let's do them together but in order to do that it needs to go beyond branches so there will be some conditional branches in the in the flow of instructions and that would normally stop you if you were trying to get ahead of yourself because you're like, well, I don't know which way it's going to go until I get to it, so I guess I can't do any more work. But mm-hmm. thankfully, hardware engineers have gone, well, why don't we just make a guess? And then if we guess wrong, we'll we'll undo the work that we did speculatively and, you know, we'll chalk it up to experience. But if we get it right, then, hey, we're unlocking more parallelism. Mm-hmm. So branch mispredictions are, is the name for when it that, is guessed wrong, it guessed incorrectly. Okay. Yeah. So that means that the pipeline has to flush, it has to refill up, and it has to do a bunch of, of extra work. Now, the average branch branch misprediction, depending on when it was noticed, can be anywhere between. Uh, here I've got it in nanoseconds for reasons I can't remember, but anywhere between five and thirty nanoseconds,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is between fifteen and fifteen seconds and a minute and a half. So it's mm-hmm. almost as bad as one of those uh, divides that we were talking about, yeah. which is so you can really interesting.
1: Like what's that sorry i said you can multiply quickly too yes right (laughs) right Right. so
0: i mean it's 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 amazing there's no sort of human analog to this i guess this is just the um i'm trying to think what it could be you know if you're running down the list of instructions in a recipe and one of the instructions was if the previous instruction is blah then mm. go to step five and you're like, well, I haven't, that hasn't finished yet, right? The egg is still boiling or whatever. Yeah. So I'm just going to do the next few things. And then, you know, you eventually go back to step two and the egg is now finished. You look at it and you're like, oh, actually the egg has set. <laughs> it's a terrible analogy. I haven't thought
1: this through yeah, yeah.
0: at all. And you're like, oh, crap. Now I have to go re- redo all that stuff and I have to throw away the stuff that I was doing. And that, you lose a minute and a half clearing up the desk and kind of going back to it. Like, okay, step three.
1: <laughs> I mean, how much human effort is wasted by trying to half-ass two things at the same time? Well, there's I mean, that too. Probably
0: a lot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly so yeah maybe maybe yeah. it's a false uh a false comparison although actually well, no, no I was I, yeah, I, I think was, it's a good comparison yeah. I was trying to cook too so we um we found a local uh place that sells uh pre-ground and pre-made little packs of spices for Indian food which oh, is like yeah, my favorite it. thing to cook and I love yeah. cooking it myself but I'll always support somebody who's yeah. um got a new little business so we went and saw and spoke to her or whatever and so we we bought every single one that she had. And Mm. then I was like, well, what are we going to do about this? Uh, Well, I'm going to cook two recipes in parallel, which definitely (laughs) had exactly, as you said, the sort of symptom of I was half assing two things rather than whole assing one thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Right. It came out
0: just fine, actually. And it was delicious. But um, um, that's more like multi-threading for what it's worth. Although there is only one
1: CPU in this instance. (laughs) Yeah. Good
0: point. So what else do computers do that take time? Uh, reading from cache? Exactly. Yes. Uh-huh. So, well, reading from memory at all, right? You access yeah. variables all the time, right? You're right. A variable is either on the stack or it's on the heap or it's wherever, but it's in memory. huh. Um, And so we know that memory is slow, we're told. Well, that's why we have these caches that are supposed to make it go faster. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. The average access to, uh, well, average, the an access to level one cache is about the fastest thing you can get. So this is the tiny, tiny cache that's nearest the CPU. It's usually about 32K, mm-hmm. which is you know, absolutely ridiculously small. Like, uh, Although, you know, my first computer only had 32K of memory, so uh, right. it's still quite big in that risk. But mm-hmm. it takes three cycles to read from L1, which is like three seconds in human terms, right? Mm-hmm. We've sort of said. So that seems that's a bit like the piece of note paper that you're currently working on. Maybe this is a little bit slower than that. Yeah, you've, Ben's holding up a sheet of paper in front of him, right? If you yeah. just had to find an arbitrary bit in your flip, book, flip notebook in front of you, mm-hmm. two or three seconds sounds about right. I mean, again, mm-hmm. slightly. So that's L1, and it's tiny. It's as small as a tiny notebook.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If uh, L- L2, which is a, a, a bigger, further away cache now if we were thinking like l1 is the size of a a notebook this is like a a a ring binder or a set of ring binders that you've got you know on your shelving behind you Mm -hmm. and and so typical l2s are um hundreds of k you know 512k maybe a meg ish actually i should check i should check that in fact i'm going to check that by running the command on my kuta now because i've actually forgotten which is super embarrassing and i'd hate to get it wrong um so my l2 cache is oh 18 meg it reckons but i don't think that's right all right well anyway megabytes of information Mm -hmm. local to this individual cpu i bet you that was the sum of them all so yeah i should probably anyway so hundreds of k to low megabytes um that's 10 cycles away which is 10 seconds away that seems a bit quick if it's ring binders on your shelf for me but you know maybe the analogy still stands level three is the final layer of the cache that's the furthest away and it's shared with all of the other cpus so this is a bit like i guess Mm -hmm. a bunch of folks sitting at desks and having like a a centralized uh library in of commonly used books in between them all that's going to take you around about 40 cycles to get information It, it varies there because it depends on whether it's in the part of the library that's actually physically close to you or not that actually matters now with are into and so that's 40 cycles so 40 seconds again now that seems a bit fast for a library in my analogy mm-hmm. but really what we're coming we're getting to now is like what happens if the cache system fails and you actually have to go out to the real memory you know the things you mm-hmm. literally slot into the motherboard when you're building your computer and you have to actually get the data off of that right we're talking like 100 nanoseconds then which is six minutes mm-hmm. so that's a trip that's a dr- that's a trip down on the elevator to the, you know, the archives to then find that one book you want to get out and then get back on the elevator, back up to your right and then put it in the shared library. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Again, it's 120 nanoseconds, which sounds tiny. And it is tiny because we can't comprehend time scales that small. But in the working life of a computer that's adding numbers together as its like primary job, that's like, Twiddling your thumbs for a tea break, right. I can make a cup of tea, a decent cup of tea in six and a half minutes mm-hmm. and that's what you're taking every time you miss your cash, which is why that kind of thing becomes really important when you are talking about really performant code mm-hmm. um just to sort of finish this off then before we go into more general stuff, but like um if you're talking about reading from peripherals like the the real genuine outside world as opposed to things that are literally soldered. Uh, on your motherboard or, or right. very close to. Um, yeah. Reading something from an SSD, at least when I wrote these slides, which was a while ago, was, you know, 50 microseconds, which is like two days.
1: Mm. Right. That's jumping orders of magnitude there. Right? Yeah, we're off yeah. now
0: to ordering from Amazon and waiting for it to come through, right? This yeah. is that book we didn't have. And Amazon, uh, you right. know, it's, it's got Prime delivery and it'll be through tomorrow. Uh-huh. So that's, you know, when you are um, need to read something from, from disk, obviously you try to make sure you have lots of, things to read from disk so you don't wait for any one particular piece. But if you're using an old school spinning disk and it's not in the right place and it has to seek to wherever your disk, uh, your information is stored on the disk drive, we're talking milliseconds now. So there's another three orders of magnitude different from the microseconds. Uh, So one to 10 milliseconds on a good day, which is one to 12 months on this scale. (laughs) So this is sending away to somewhere, you know, some, some, you know some obscure company that has to custom make the thing and then it comes through and it says you know 60 days business days for it to come through kind of feel to it right that is what the kind of level we're talking about when you're reading from a regular old school hard disk right Um, i
1: I was gonna say it's like this is like oh i need this book but the problem is is it hasn't been written yet
0: (laughs) (laughs) right yeah that's more of that i guess so i mean yeah because even nowadays they can print stuff on demand right like I've got a couple of books on yeah, my, my yeah, shelf here great. that are on-demand printed, which uh-huh. surprised me. I like flicked through and I looked at the end and went, wait a second, it says it was printed, what, three days ago? Huh? Yeah. yeah. It's crazy how far things have come. So my, my analogy with books maybe is not exactly right. But So then if, we, if we're going to go from, from disk drives, which are physically inside the chassis or mm-hmm. chassis uh, of your computer, and we start talking about networking more generally, like the internet – Uh, If you ping your switch neighbor, that is the computer that is plugged adjacent to you in the switch that you're both plugged into, we're talking hundreds of microseconds, which is about a week. Mm -hmm. So it takes a week to get to the closest thing that's not your actual computer. Now, maybe obviously networking has gotten better since I've wrote Mm -hmm. these things. And if you're using cool techniques, uh, I'm sure you can go faster than that. But like just as an order of magnitude thing, a week of time to go and get that thing from the network.
1: Yeah, yeah. So all of these things but sort of so much at, faster than the spinning
0: disk right isn't that funny yeah, yeah it's actually faster as long as the computer you're talking to has the re- response in its own in its ram then maybe right. you can get the answer back quicker which is you know used by things like memcached and redis as exactly for that reason mm-hmm. if you uh, ping when i ping google.com from my computer it takes me just over a millisecond which is a month and a half so Googling it is not the answer pinging the other side of the Atlantic back to my my home country if I ping bbc.co.uk it takes 90 milliseconds so it's nine years uh, is is that that's like going to Mars right <laughs> if you want to get the information from the other side of the of the world um, and then obviously the, the the far end of this this scale is like well it takes me five minutes to reboot my computer so when someone says can you not just turn it off and on again, uh, if I have to turn it on and off again, especially as this particular machine takes so darn long to go through its post. Um, I've I've conservatively put that at five minutes, which is probably a bit high, but mm-hmm. five minutes to turn your computer off and then it booting back up again and then you remembering to come back and log in and all the kind of things that you have to do because you've wandered mm-hmm. away to make, make the cup yeah. of tea. Um, yeah. In human time, 32 millennia. So that is a civilization ending event in the CPU time. So just think of the computer, man, every time. <laughs>
1: destroying civilizations every time you turn it off and turn it back on again right
0: (laughs) i mean in a way you are i mean so my first book where i learned to program from which i'm glad to say that the Osborne book company still exist and they have recently like sent out pdfs or made pdfs of those original books you know from the late late 80s early yeah no mid 80s available they have little cartoony robot characters that are clambering around inside the cpu and there's like pigeonholes everywhere and they're climbing in and putting numbers in pigeonholes to sort of mm-hmm. represent writing numbers from memory so a reboot in that world really is killing them all and starting again so i mean maybe it is maybe it isn't such a, a, a wrong thing don't, i feel bad for them now those don't poor. kill all the robots inside. don't kill the robots computer that make it work
1: so I was gonna say, like, let's let's. I want to think a little more about that. Those sort of time scales When you were talking about like network access and 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 disk access. So so going across the pond over to the UK, you were saying is 90 milliseconds, which is did you say nine years? If we're scaling this up in uh, time, is that right? Let me slide
0: back up. Is uh, 90 milliseconds? Is, yeah, nine years apparently. Again, okay. someone will probably check my maths and find that I'm completely wrong here. But, like, <laughs>
1: I'm sure it's order of magnitude correct. <laughs> right. And then, like, but, like, and then just pinging Google, uh, which is probably hitting some edge server that's, you know, yeah. geographically almost located. Almost certainly
0: in a, the same place that, like, my provider is plugged into. Right. And there's going to be a pop there. or Yeah.
1: Right. And how long was that again? That was a month. 1.2 milliseconds. A month
0: and a half. Yeah, six weeks.
1: Okay. Okay. And 1.2 milliseconds. And, I, I mean, think.
0: actually, let's think about it. So, the UK yeah. is 4,000 miles away. Ping is the round trip time, so it's eight thousand miles. I'm gonna type into Google right now, eight thousand miles in feet. You can hear my appalling clicky keyboard. And it is uh oh God, four point two times ten to the seven feet. Uh so that's four point yeah two million or
1: four four point two million.
0: I'm gonna do that. So that's the number of seconds. So we're going to divide it by uh, that's that many minutes. That's then that many hours. Okay, and then that many days, 335. Oh, oops, that's not right, uh, 488. So I don't know where I got nine. Well, I mean, I know the number was right from an actual measured t- point of view, but according mm-hmm. to my appalling math here, just the light going across, um, takes uh one point oh hang on a second 1.3 oh no sorry i've just been i've completely balls this up haven't i yes i've got several orders of magnitude that i need to work out first of all (laughs) um uh and i'm gonna yeah what's that 1.33 uh no i've lost myself this is daft all right i made a mistake in terms of that so it's 4.2 times 10 to the 7 feet therefore it's that many nanoseconds away Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. right and then let me do that right we are gosh so that's one e nine so that's yeah okay (laughs) that was a much easier thing i don't know where i was doing the years and whatever um according to this it would take 42 milliseconds with this stupid approximation of one foot is one nanosecond Mm -hmm. Forty-two milliseconds to get there and back. So our,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. our time. So that, that's that's the, the absolute maximum time, right? That right? the, the, the yeah. minimum time, absolute minimum time it could possibly take. Gosh, we got yeah. there in the end. Um, I'd like to pretend that I will edit this to make me sound intelligent, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> so the world will be exposed to me being a fool Can and being unable to numbers? do elementary maths on uh, at, uh, the stuff. So yes, yeah.
1: there was some division in there. I think so. You know, it was. It did take me a minute slower. and a half to get the right <laughs> answer. <laughs> Yeah, quite. But, but this is so that's interesting because I think one of the sort of more surprising things for me in the last few years, uh, has been and we have uh run into this at work actually, the sort of emergence as the network as an incredibly fast device for data access on par with sort of local storage mechanisms. Um especially when you sort of design your network to facilitate that kind of thing. Because certainly, right. you know, when I was when I was sort of g- generally thinking about these sort of order of magnitude times many years ago, naturally you'd be like, oh, we want to avoid network access because it's going to be much slower. So, you know, we're going to cache this locally on disk. And even back then it was like probably a spinning disk, but that was still faster, right? And I feel like the, the tables have uh, flipped a little bit. If you sort of, uh, you know, take that into account with your network storage and the design of the network storage, where that network storage can be on par, if not in some cases maybe even faster um, than what you would be able to purchase for the same price uh, stored locally. Um, and then when you couple that with the fact that network storage has the benefit of being able to be accessed by many computers at the same time then things get also very interesting. So this is like, obviously like the the sort of very micro optimization benchmark area is one place where your preconceptions and your intuition can be wrong absolutely but i think it can also be true at these sort of like more macro uh levels where you're thinking about the design of whole systems and and how they interact where your your intuition about like what's fast and what's slow is probably maybe off by many orders of magnitude
0: that's a really good point yeah i mean it is definitely true that um yeah like accessing your neighbor's uh ram or your neighbors uh, uh, is faster than re- or at least the same speed as reading your own SSD mm-hmm. sort of in the same ballpark. And that could make a big difference, as you say, rather than filling all your servers with terabytes and terabytes of local storage, mm-hmm. then you know, being smart about using um, shared storage where maybe the... the I mean, one, one thing that we glossed over in this, of course, is like that was reading from disk where it wasn't in the file system cache. So that's mm-hmm. obviously a system level, operating system level, cache everything's a cache right there's just caches everywhere to make everything go faster um and so very often if you've just written a file to disk and then you're just reading from it again then you're not actually touching the spinning disk so you get it from memory and so there's that but obviously that blows up over after at at some point if you will run out of memory or the the cache gets flushed to disk and and Mm -hmm. new other things come in whereas in a shared storage environment the cache could be on the shared node as well in ram and i think you know we Certain devices that we've got access to have layers in themselves of, well, this stuff is all in fast RAM, this stuff is all in SSD, and it's all backed finally with actual big old fat spinning disks that can write the sort of journal of record for for, for, for forever storage. Mm-hmm. And so the layers go through that. But it means that most of the time in a shared environment, it's probably faster to just keep asking for it off the network, have it mm-hmm. streamed to you, than it is to try and store it on your local disk and then get it back later so, mm-hmm. that, as you say, that, that affects the way you think about your systems right. design, which I've right. not thought
1: of. That's great. Yeah, especially when you start getting into the concerns around having to manage that local storage much more carefully. And it's like, oh, yeah, well, this is going to be faster if we get it off a disk, but we only have, like, two terabytes of disk. And then when that fills up, we got to swap it out, then we got to refetch it, and then and all these other sort of trade-offs that you make. is like, well, if you're just going to, you know, degenerate into reading stuff from the network all the time because you don't have... Enough local storage to actually make it worthwhile, like just cut the local storage out of the equation and read it from the network all the time, right like yes yeah. it's, it's yeah, it's, it's interesting,
0: and then maybe put concentrate any caching in your to you inside your application and and yeah. cache stuff in from the network in memory mm-hmm. if you need that as well
1: mm-hmm. well so, yeah. I, 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 this is a super interesting exercise, though. I, lo- I love this sort of metaphor of, like, you know, going to get something from your desk or going to the shared library or, you know. <laughs> I've got, waiting yeah, in my head I've got, like, this sort of reboot.
0: mental plan to, like, come up with, like, a really good set of analogies that work this way. And, and, and when I dream about um, retirement or whatever, I've got, like, well, maybe we can make, get someone to do, like, an animation of this. And, you know, I've got, mm-hmm. like, elves and goblins as like, the real way I'd like to express this. I want to make it interesting to, to like, like the little robots. Like, that's the reason yeah, why I brought it up. Yeah. Those books were so important to me as to how I internalized like how computers quote really work Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. I think that there's a new world where we can show this is now how computers really work and both Mm -hmm. you can start at the top and say well this is just what computers do adding and subtracting whatever haha and you can have your little goblin with his. Uh, parchment paper writing mm-hmm. out the answers to whatever and you're like oh there you are and then now we've got two goblins because we've got two cpus or whatever and how do they agree on this and whatever right. and then you can start going further and further in and you're like well you know the, the goblins instructions come from the forest and depending on where you are in the forest, it might take you longer to go and get the forest and grow the thing. And, you know, I've, again, it's not really fully thought, yeah, fully yeah. formed, but, you know, out of order execution can be done this way and uh, cash misses and all that stuff, I'm sure, in an yeah. interesting and entertaining way, other, rather than like the boring library analogy we used earlier. But, <laughs> but yeah. bringing it back onto um subject, one of the things that we were discussing recently was uh, at work was how surprised some people were about, like, other operations. Um Um, for example, we were looking at whether or not raising something to the power of two Mm -hmm. was the same as multiplying it with itself. Mm -hmm. And obviously we have a lot, you know, we work in finance. We have a lot of folks who are very mathematically focused. And of course, those two things are absolutely equivalent, right? Raising something to the power of two is the same as multiplying it with itself, which is to say it's squaring the the value. Mm Mm-hmm. And these values sometimes are matrices or giant arrays of numbers and things like that. So it's not as straightforward as literally a number. But if we were to just think about it in terms of a single number, like the computer, like I described before, the computer can do a multiply in a single cycle. Mm -hmm. Or sorry, four cycles, wasn't it? Four cycles. But raising to the power is not a primitive operation that it knows how to do. It has to be built out of. Code to do that operation, just like you know, taking the inverse tangent of something, is like a procedure. There's a program that runs, and so there's a vast, vast difference in the number of instructions that need to be executed to raise something to a power than there is to just multiply it with like the circuit that does multiplication. And but they are, we can see they're equivalent, right? You can look at them and say, well, this is a power, but you've asked the computer to, to do two different things. Now, in some very optimized compiled languages there might be scope for the compiler to go whoa these things are equivalent but typically um something that is so high level in terms of what the compiler sees that like it's a call to a function to raise something to a power uh-huh. and unless it has special knowledge that this is this this is really what a power is um it doesn't know that it could be replaced with with uh, multiplying by itself right and so that that was surprising to some folks but uh, you know um I guess not to me. I'm like looking at it going like, gosh, that's a very different operation that you're asking mm-hmm. it to do that. They're
1: functionally equivalent. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things with the intersection of computers and mathematics where the computer and and the pure math don't really agree at all. I mean, you know, obviously floating point operations are an example of that. Well, there's right? that too. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and we can go into that, but I feel like there's a lot of these kinds of areas where it's like, if you're looking at things from a purely mathematical standpoint, um, it's it's different when you map it into computation, right? Um, and it's like sometimes a limit of like the way that computers are actually implemented now in the technology that we have. But I think there's also some... I could be wrong about this, but I feel like there's some things that are just like, no, no, no. This has nothing to do with the way that we tricked uh, little bits of sand into thinking. This is just like a fundamental limitation of computation, right? Like Mm -hmm. you just can't do this in the same way that you can do it mathematically because the physical world just doesn't work that way. I'm trying to think of a good example of that, though.
0: I was going to ask you, but I I was thinking myself now what else there could be.
1: I don't know. Maybe I'm making stuff up. But yeah, I feel like... I want to think about that. <laughs> now but, we go quite a thinking about stuff, right? like, and yeah. this is not a good.
0: This is not a good podcast material. where yeah. We're both staring at each other, like with our fingers on our chins, going
1: "Hmm." Yeah, this is like we're nerd sniping each other with this. That's but right. um, but yeah, I mean, those things are, are they can be they can be very surprising. They can be very surprising.
0: Right, and I think in our in our case as well, um, my my teeth. In fact, my my sort of speaking career is based on the you know website that bears my name, um and the kind of cool things that compilers can do and that's what really gets me excited and so my intuition is based around what compilers are able to do what compilers often can do is to do exactly the kind of transformations that you might reasonably think like seeing not maybe not specifically power but things like that hey look you're doing this this sequence of operations there there is a faster way of expressing them that has the exact same semantics and meaning to the cpu so i'm going to do some work to 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 change it for you and so you often you don't have to worry about these things as a program which is great right i mean that's ideally you want to be able to express your intent at the the highest level where you can achieve your goals that seems to be a reasonable thing to want um but in an interpreted language like python like this was this particular thing was in python Mm-hmm. There isn't an opportunity to to have that sort of high level view and kind of go oh I noticed that you're always doing these two things together or I can prove that this is a constant on this side and therefore I can do something different from what you said that transformation is not really part of it. Now that's not to say that there isn't some clever code somewhere deep 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 down in numpy that's kind of doing a comparison and go oh this is raising to the power of 2 let's just multiply it but if it is doing it I was un- it doesn't seem to be helping <laughs> in the particular case I was looking at. Mm-hmm. Similarly, you know, square roots, again, um, you know, raising to the power of a half. And and at what point, if you say, well, there's there's 12 or 13 different um, possibilities, maybe, for this. Maybe if you're raising to the power of, you know, 8, that's the same as multiplying by itself and then squaring the square and then squaring the square or whatever. You know, there's there's a, there are algorithms, there are known algorithms for doing raising to high powers for mm-hmm. things like mm-hmm. encryption, actually. Because a lot of the stuff that you do is raising to high powers and then taking the modulus mm-hmm. with a big prime and all that kind of nonsense. Um and so to raise, to raise to a high power, you actually devolve the number that you're raising it to into the binary representation. Then and you keep squaring and adding and squaring and multiplying, sorry, squaring and multiplying with either the thing you just squared or with the original value again to kind of get you up in log mm-hmm. two steps, which is all cool. But if you were to generally apply that all the time, um, it takes probably more time to work out the best way to do that than it would do to just have done it the long way. So it's only when you have a compiler that can say, well, look, I'm going to do this the once now, right? You poor program writer, uh, you get to suffer this time while I compile. But then everyone at runtime right. benefits from the fact that I saw that this was actually this particular kind of multiplication. And in fact, I can replace your multiplication with shifts and adds or whatever, you know, there is all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. So, so maybe there is a bit of um, a bias in my, ex- my recent experience because of it being an interpreted language, which obviously has its own trade-offs. And one of them is that you can write it really quickly. And another one is that maybe you can um, make a lot of cups of tea while it's doing its work.
1: <laughs> right, right. Saving, saving on uh, the writing time at the expense of the running time and the right. coffee but and tea making time.
0: Often that's the right trade-off, right? Yeah. You know, that's I mean, certainly if you want to write a little command line tool, then you want to be writing something which is mm-hmm. quick and easy and not necessarily hard to mm-hmm. write. And So there's always trade-offs
1: here. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been a really fun adventure from like the, you know, third of a Grace Hopper wire yes, all to... the way up to uh, rebooting your computer taking 32 millennia <laughs> uh, and, and all the various effects of, of those, that vast difference in, in time. So I feel like I have a much better understanding of uh how time works and how computers work <laughs> uh just from just from going through this
0: absolutely and i'm going to leave uh, on the uh a, a tweet that i saw from a friend recently or not a tweet he was a, a, a conference talk that he did and then halfway through it he said the first rule of profiling is that you are wrong and i think that <laughs> that's the intuition that everyone should take away from this
1: yeah is that you're always wrong uh-huh Start with that, and you, uh, you'll probably <laughs> wind up in a better place. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. <laughs> all right, my friend. Well, all uh, right. Until next time. Until next time.
0: You've been listening to Two's Compliment, a programming podcast by Ben Ray and Matt Godfold. Find the show transcript and notes at two'scompliment.org. Contact us on Twitter at 2CP, that's at T W O S C P. Theme music by Inverse Phase, inversephase.com.